Welcome to Talk Farm to Me, the podcast that puts farmers center stage. Today, we meet third-generation rancher Rob Rastovich from Barley Beef Ranch in Bend, Oregon. And like many of the visitors who flock to Bend for its craft beer, Rob's cattle are also steeped in hops and barley. But that's only one part of Rob's life as a farmer. Today, you'll hear about Rob's other love, technology, the Internet of Things, innovation, and efficiencies. It's important to note before we start that more than 52% of American farmers have another job off the farm. Rob is one of them, but you will be surprised to understand the intersection of his Silicon Valley life with his ranching one in Oregon's Deschutes River Valley. I'm so interested to talk with you and to hear all about your your double life. Is that what you have? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess you could call it that, yeah. I'm third generation uh, cattle rancher in central Oregon, a little town called Bend, Oregon. It was my grandfather that actually founded the ranch in 1919, so we're 102 years old. He worked it for his uh, entire life, and my dad was the youngest of seven, and he worked it for his entire life, and then I took over from him in about 2006 or so. And so before, you know, they did a small cow-calf operation. Quickly, a cow-calf operation is a method of raising beef cattle, where the rancher keeps a herd of cows in order to produce calves for sale. I just wanted you to know that. Bend is a is a little bit of a tourist town, and we were a very small town. I I grew up on the ranch here, and when I was growing up, Bend was more of a a mill town. You know, then the mill started shutting down, and so everybody I knew used to work at the mill. And when the mill started shutting down, Bend kind of reinvented itself as a a brew town back in the early '90s. And as a tourist destination, we have a couple destination resorts that bring in a lot of tourists, a lot of golf. We have mountains. We have a lot of ski resorts. But it started with Deschutes Brewery was really the first brewery that reinvented itself as kind of a beer town. And so we started working with those guys and picking up their spent grains. Spent grains from a brewery like Deschutes is typically 85% of its total beer making byproduct and is commonly fed to chickens or pigs or to other animals or used in compost. When we feed that to cows and then we started you know selling a little beef back to consumers locker beef and then we got some commercial accounts and selling it to the pubs in town and so now we pretty much exclusively do feeding of beer mash to cows we have a partner ranch out in eastern oregon that supplies us with a kind of a, a ground a ground beef program and we feed them uh, we feed them the beer mash and 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 so we come into bend and have a burger and a beer you're eating a burger raised on the beer you're drinking no. <laughs> so we kind of reinvented ourselves as, as more of a kind of a backgrounding in a, in a feedlot model, but you know, more of a, you know, a beer. They call it, I always say, you want to help the local farmer drink more beer. Before we move on from here, let's just touch on backgrounding and feedlots for a minute. Backgrounding is where calves that are weaned eat their fill of pasture grasses and forage until they're about 800 pounds. Then they are finished, meaning fed to slaughter weight of about 1,300 pounds on a feedlot. A feedlot, as defined by the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, is an agricultural operation where animals are kept in confined situations and the feed is brought to them rather than them grazing for it. 
And then on the tech side, I'm the CTO of a company called ThingLogix. ThingLogix is an Internet of Things company, and it was born out of a previous company that I started with a couple of buddies of mine. And so ThingLogix was actually born out of that to provide services and help people get up and running on the Internet of Things. The Internet of Things. Do you know what that is? First of all, Rob is the CTO or Chief Technology Officer of ThingLogix, which is an IoT company, Internet of Things. It bears repeating. Essentially, IoT is a system of interrelated computing devices, mechanical and digital machines, objects, animals, or people. Yep, people. Imagine if you had a heart monitor that alerted your doctor or your doctor's device before you had a heart episode like that or my car that tells me when the tire pressure is low. It is now, actually. <laughs> Rob will give us some other examples. Agriculture and IoT actually became, or were, you know, most people think, oh my gosh, this is a big leap, but agriculture was really uh, one of the first use cases that we, we did, doing uh, fertigation systems where we, you know, soil sensors connected to the pumps, so the pump will now give you the plant not only the moisture it needs, but its nutrients. Fertigation. Did you catch that? Where fertilizer is delivered to plants through the irrigation system instead of spreading it by air or over the land. I'm actually working on a proof of concept in the in the ranching side where, you know, we have the RFID tags for the cattle. RFID tags are radio frequency ID tags that go in a cattle's ear tag, typically placed in the left ear that allow a rancher to track and identify cattle from as early as just after a calf is born. And so working on a system in our corral so that I can kind of punch in what cow is ready to go to market. And as she comes in to get water or feed, you know, kind of close the gate behind them. So you're, you're sorting out one cow from maybe four or five versus one cow out of, you know, 250. So there's a lot of use cases for IoT. So I've, I, I kind of keep one foot in each world, in the tech world and, and one foot in the in the corral, if you will. Hey, tell me what your uh, responsibilities are on the farm. So I'm, I'm, I'm still <laughs> actively out loading cows this morning. And I had, I had, <laughs> right now my main activity is not dying. Because <laughs> some of these cows, we had this cow this morning, she was, she did not like me and she was not afraid of me and she came right after me and I was up on the fence faster than I probably should have been. So I still do day-to-day -day stuff. I'm feeding, you know, feeding, irrigating. I'd have two ranch hands that, that help me out. I have one that kind of manages the, you know, the, the herd and the feed. And then we have another one that just picks up the feed because there's a big infrastructure that goes along with, you know, picking up the mash from the breweries and and whatnot. So my daughter, Emily, runs uh, sales and she basically does the operations part of it. So between the four of us, we keep things going. And what kind of cow company do you have in numbers, the four of you? Well, we run, we keep on hand about 250 at any given time and we do truckloads of about 35. So you know, so once the cattle get to the point where they're you know, about 12, 75, 1300, then we'll take a load down to the to the processor and then bring in bring in the new ones. So they kind of keep rotating out. 
also keep a small herd of, of steers for blocker beef that we just kind of maintain separately. This is the second time Rob has mentioned locker beef, so I thought I would clue you in. Locker beef is generally half of a cow cut into choice cuts. A 1,200-pound animal yields about 500 pounds of beef. But the ground beef program is our, really our, our main focus for the cows these days. And that ground beef, you were, you were mentioning a lot of it is sold locally, but that's a lot of ground beef. Are you selling it beyond? Oh, yeah. So so we actually work with another ranch. Roaring Springs Ranch is out in eastern Oregon. They're a very large operation. And they, under Grass Valley, Grass Valley Beef is their brand. So they actually supply Cisco. They're doing a lot of Whole Foods stuff, too. So I don't know what the numbers are that they're butchering every week because we're only a small portion of what they butcher. But yeah, we're part of that program as well. So your beef goes locally and then it goes through them to Cisco and Whole Foods. I'm sure you're aware of cow nutrition and what have you, having like been involved with cows for so long. What is the nutritional value of spent grains? There are some farmers who look at me like, you're probably doing the wrong thing. That's, there's nothing left in that grain. The analogy I always use for it is coffee grounds. In the old world system, you know, you put coffee in the filter and the coffee, you put the water in and, and you know, the water would go through the coffee and make coffee in the coffee pot, right? Well, when you first put those coffee grounds in there and you put the water in, that's going to be your best coffee. But if you were to put another pot of water in, instead of taking the coffee grounds and pull out, you would get, you know, a pot of coffee. It wouldn't be as strong as the first one because it would, some of the things, but there's still, there would still be, you know, nutrients and coffee left in that grounds if you put another uh, pot of water in there. And that's kind of what it is with the grains. We think there's somewhere, and we've had it tested, there's somewhere between 10 and 13% worth of protein left in that spent grain. There's a lot of water in it and you gotta supplement it with, there's a recipe that we've come up with of, you know, you know, hay and, and grain uh, to make sure that they're gaining weight, but also maintaining their, you know, the roughage in their diet. So there is there is definitely protein on there. The, while we, we did, when we first started doing it, we were doing backgrounding of calves. Calves do really well on it, but calves need a little more of the protein energy to get that bone structure on them. Where we work really, really good is, you know, because Central Oregon's just right, we're on the desert. And so a lot of the cattle that are in Eastern Oregon are desert cows and they're, they're running on uh, BLM land. BLM is the Bureau of Land Management. It's an agency of the U.S. Department of the Interior. And often, farmers and ranchers will rent land from the U.S. government in order to graze their cattle. And, you know, they're having to walk a long way to get their food. So when they come in, you know, they're kind of, they got a good frame on them, but they may not have, you know, the bulk that we want. So they kind of sit here in the lap of luxury and be fed with the, the mash for a few months and they, they fatten right up really well. And so your cows are there, are they in barns? We have 200 acres here. And so they're running out on the whole the whole place. We we run about 60 acres of irrigated land when we have water. We're in the middle of a drought, and for the last mm -hmm. couple of years we haven't had we haven't had the water that that we need. That's a whole other conversation. So they do pasture, they do they graze, and and then they you know come in twice a day for for their daily beer fix. 
You obviously have some chops in the farm side. How did you develop your expertise on the tech side? I actually went to school for marketing. And I actually, I started out when I graduated, I was living at the time, I was actually living in Southern California and I started an advertising agency in the late eighties, early nineties with a buddy of mine and we were doing marketing and always looking for a new angle, you know, and the internet came around and I had a, I had a customer, Harbor Freight Tools, um, they're still around today, that we were, I was doing some work for at the time. And I had suggested to them that, hey, we should put up a, a website, you know, and we could sell tools on the internet. They said, there's no way anybody's ever gonna buy tools on the internet. I mean, no one's ever gonna put their credit card on there. I says, yeah, they will. And, they, and I, I forget that the owner had this report, you know, of customer profile. And it was one of those old green bar reports and he put it on the desk and he said, look at page 312, whatever it is. And there was a, a a, an analysis of the customer and he said percentage of customers that own a computer two percent he goes our our customers don't even own a computer what do you think they're gonna why do you think they're gonna you know buy tools online because at that time they were printing catalogs and mailing catalogs and i said well 98 percent of your non-customers do own a computer i said so maybe it's a new way of getting new customers in there and we went back and forth. He finally let me do it. And I, you know, I coded my first e-commerce website. It was like 93 or 94. And that was, that was, I was hooked. You know, the technology stuff. I always say I have two habits, code and cows, right? I just, I, I got to get my fix of both. So. <clears throat> I just want to dive back in a little bit to what you were talking about before, about the intersection between the two, that your proof of concept really grabs onto one part of the world you know really well while you're experimenting with something that you're yeah. developing. Yeah, so there's a lot of efficiencies that can be gained. You know, you know, farming is, you know, if it's nothing, it's about efficiency and in so many different ways. And, you know, over the years that, you know, I've been on the ranch and my father was a great fabricator, whatever, you know, they always say that, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, whatever it is that you need, and if it doesn't exist and you can find a way to cut your labor down, to make it easier for you to do that, to be safer, you know, you know we'll do it. And the advent of machinery over the years, I mean, this, this ranch was done with fields were plowed with horses and, and the original hay was on wagons with, you know, horse-drawn wagons. And when the tractor came around, that was a big deal, you know, and each time as technology and, and you know, things that make farming more efficient come in that's what it's all about getting more yield making it easier making it less labor whatever you can do to be more efficient and that's no more is true of that with water you know water is our most precious resources and trying to get more efficiency with water so what i found is technology you know obviously that's that's the goal of technology as well is efficiency the whole point of you know, whatever it is we do is we can do it a little bit better. We can do it easier or faster. And those two mindsets are actually the same mindset, you know, always with an eye of trying to make things a little more efficient, a little bit better. And so a lot of times people think technology and ranching are miles apart. Well, they're actually very similar. They just use different tools. One uses a keyboard and another one's using probably a welder and, you know, a hammer and nail to, to fabricate what it needs to do it. A couple of years, I put in industrial hemp. I'd get on the, the hemp bandwagon, the hemp, for a couple of years. And one of the, because more of a row crop, and that was, we did potatoes years ago, but typically we've been cattle ranchers. But I wanted to try my hand at, at the row crop thing. 
And technology came in real handy. I actually had a proof of concept with Boston Dynamics, which was putting up, they have a, a dog, a robotic dog called Spot. And you, we got a couple of spots and we could program them to do things. Well, one of the proof of concepts that we were doing was being able to take a robotic dog that can traverse really tough terrain, you know, not like wheels or something, but can walk, recognize plants. Like in a hemp field, you can't have any male plants. They need to all be female plants. So you need to go through and check those plants and be able to remove the male plants because it'll, it'll, you know, destroy the whole crop if it, if it starts to pollinate that way. Even just as simple as weeding, moving those robotic dogs up and down and, and letting them weed. It, the efficiencies were amazing. Now, it w still isn't economically feasible right now because the cost of a dog is, you know, more than the cost of a tractor and definitely more than cost of, of labor. So, but those efficiencies start to come in as we start to as we start to, you know, do these proof of concepts, the, the price always comes down in technology. So doing row crops that way, managing, which you mentioned the corrals, being able to manage the herd instead of right now, what's the cow that goes to markets? The slowest one, the one that you can catch the easiest. Well, we need to get the cow to go to market that's been here the longest, that is ready to go and that is safe. And you know, anybody who's ever been on a ranch, you know that you get into a a corral with a you know a 1400 pound animal you're going to lose and so trying to get safety in the handlers out of the dangers is another advantage of technology being able to move those corrals so that you're not having to be you know separate them by yourself and then the stress on the animal too making it so that you know it's you're not pushing them you're not trying to you know create that stress because that stress on the animal you know affects the quality uh, of the product the, the problem is the cost benefit, right? We got to wait that that cost of technologies is too high and it's pennies that you're dealing with on the ranch, right? You know, we got, you want to save pennies here and pennies there and that's the only way you're going to make a profit. So it's very slim margins on the ranch. So what we're trying to do is make it so that those technologies can come down to a place where it now does become financially feasible to put those efficiencies in place. So you're farming cattle, you're farming ideas and efficiencies, and, and tell me where else this kind of technology is ideally applied. Oh, so the, the technology itself is, is we actually working with the USGS. One of the big things and one of my uh, other passions is, is water, obviously, as a rancher and, and uh, you know, trying to grow crops. He who has the water wins. And so we're actually working with them. This technology is being used to monitor river flows. The USGS is the U.S. Geological Survey, a scientific agency of the Department of the Interior that studies landscapes, natural resources, and threats to those resources. So, you know, we have actually gotten really good in these last few years, of last 30 years of, you know, we have a, an electrical grid you know that we move we, we can move natural gas you know pretty well we even got we've even gotten really well at municipality water moving you know moving the water in a municipality but the one thing that lags behind is agricultural irrigation it's still running down you know old ditches and it's hard to monitor and to manage snowpack versus you know river flow using this technology so that you can actually start measuring in real time like if you're at the top of the, you know, Colorado River, 
and you want to see what what's going there that measurement at the colorado river affects the measurement down in southern california because that's where they get most of their water so being able to manage that entire system in real time is a huge benefit for not just ranchers and farmers but for the conservationists for ecologists you know being able to make sure that these these uh, wetlands stay there we work with usgs in monitoring a snow geese and duck migration we actually they actually have these little devices that go on snow geese and we can watch them and, they, and it's the cutest picture they have a, a duck and it's a little backpack they put on the duck and you can monitor where the duck goes. But one of the real things that they're most concerned about is their breeding grounds are wetlands. And so what they're trying, what they want to look at is, okay, well, how does the water that's in the Colorado River now, which is hundreds of miles away from the breeding grounds where the ducks are, going to affect how much water is going to be in the swamp so that when they start breeding, they can figure out how many, what the dead population is. All that correlation, you know, of, of how one thing affects another is really where the technology, you know, can can play a big part. That's the other thing about, you know, ranching. And I, I was thinking about this um, this morning for a reason. You know, we, as, as a rancher, you have to look at kind of a very holistic picture. You can't just focus on, if I just focused on, all right, I'm gonna feed cows, I'm gonna feed cows, and I'm gonna feed cows. And I lose sight of the fact that, okay, you didn't fertilize your fields or you didn't water your fields or you didn't get the pump in there or there wasn't enough snow in the mountains or keep moving that picture back so I can look at how everything affects one another. That's really kind of what you have to do as a farmer and rancher. Look at the whole picture, not just you know a focused thing. And I think what happens a lot of times now is we get so focused on one issue that we lose track of, of the larger picture. And I even think that this technology is giving us the ability to see the larger picture. Like, how does one relate to the other? Because right now we've only, up to now, we've only had the ability to focus on ducks. I wanna see how the ducks, there's no water in the breeding ground. What should we do? Oh, we have a crisis. Well, no, let's look over here and let's look up there. So putting the correlations on that, I think the technology helps a great deal and I think it's really important. In a modern world with all of this technology, plus your you know 100 year history on the farm, what's next for your ranch? Oh, that's, that's a really good question because, you know, I'm always looking for something. One of the big problems that we've had in the last, in through this whole, even through the pandemic, um, has been the processing of, of beef products. The amount of slots that we can get to process our beef is just so limited. Did you listen to last week's episode with sixth generation farmer Carrie Edsall in Cobleskill, New York? about her processing issues. It is an issue that plagues farmers from coast to coast. Keep your ears open on this topic. You'll find it coming up more and more and well, you'll be in the know. You know, the farmer's always trying to, you know, there's always somebody else up there where he's trying to get it. So the price of beef right now has been, it's high on the retail side and it's low on the ingestion side, but in the middle is where all that, you know, all that profit is actually being made. It's at the processors because there's a limited amount of processors that are USDA approved. Getting a processing plant up and running is a difficult thing. So that has been the bottleneck. The government just recently announced fund by which to expand on some of those. So we're going to start looking at putting in a small processing plant so that we can 
we don't have to haul the cows to a facility. We can, it'll be here, it'll be slaughtered here, it'll be sold from here, and right, it truly will be, you know, farm to fork. How far do you go to take your animals now? Right now we're about an hour. And that's, I mean, we're an hour for the closest one if we want, we got two and a half hours on some of the other stuff. Because the one that's an hour away, we only get, you know, a few slots and we're, you know, I'm, I'm negotiating right now for slots for 2024, you know, trying to increase my number of, of kill dates. And, and you just, it's, when you're negotiating that far out, it's, you know, it just doesn't, you, you can't react. And the town is still growing. The demand for beef is still growing and demand for food is still growing, but being, and that's why the price for the consumer is going up. Are you, are you hoping that in the future you'll be able to handle all of your own slaughter? Yeah. And I don't, you know, and I don't need to be as big as, you know, some of these, you know, I don't need to be killing, you know, 250 head a week, you know, and I need to be, I need to be like, you know, if I had, if I was at 10 or 20 uh, a week, I would be, it would be an enormous lift for us because I would have, on the supply side and the processing side and the selling side, you know, the, the price would be so much more uh, attractive even to the consumer. And I would actually start making margins all the way through, you know, it's kind of a win-win, you know, if you, if you can do that, but it's, it's a big un- undertaking. We're just looking at doing that right now. I'm also looking at, you know, agritainment types of industries, especially in our town, which is more of a tourist town. People, you know, enjoy the, you know, the farm experience and being able to come out and, and you know, see the farm. And, and I, that's important to me because I need people to meet farmers is what we need. It was one of the things that I was really, when I was reading about your podcast too, I think that is so important. A lot of times I think, you know, farmers get, especially ranchers, because, you know, our product is you know, we, we butcher things. So they kind of think of us, they demonize us a little bit that we don't care about the land or the, or the animal. And in fact, you know, the, the farmers, the original conservationists, you know, no one cares more about their animals and their, and their, their land than, than the guy that's, you know, working day in, day out to, you know, nurture it and protect it. But it doesn't appear that way to people. So I do run some tours periodically, people coming out, and so they can, you know, kind of meet us, see how we, you know, manage our herd, how we manage the animals, what that looks like in, in Oregon. The more that people get to meet farmers and realize that we're not bad people, we're not, you know, I, I think that's a win-win for everybody. I really believe the same thing. I think that we should know our farmers, whether your favorite food is a Pop-Tart or a grass-fed beef or you know, we should be thanking our, our farmers. There's, you know, less than 2% of you, you know, here um, in the U.S. are farmers. And that's that's just a stark number. It's a stark yeah. number. And if 98% can't say thank you for their, you know, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, I really have always just wanted to figure out a way to shine a spotlight on what farmers are doing. And I think it's interesting too for people to understand that farmers are not one-dimensional and have other lives and other things that they do also they're smart in a thousand ways i'm fortunate enough to be around very smart people because in the tech industry there's very smart people in the tech industry but they don't compare to the intelligence of a rancher or a farmer that you run into and it just it always amazes me because you know if, if if you're a guy in tech okay so so you can write code and and 
you know how to do an MQTT request and be able to process SOCL statements and do all that. Well, that's interesting. That's what you do. A rancher, I know these guys, they're, they're veterinarians. They understand anatomy and biology of just about any animal. They're chemists. They know exactly what chemicals need to be and how a plant is. They're, they're fabricators. They're innovators. You know, they're creative. They have, and they're financially minded. I mean, they know their books inside and out. They can read a balance sheet and you can't push anything over them that they don't know about. And so they are just, there is this, the intelligence on, on the ranching side is so amazing. Every one of those guys that I just, you know, that I'm thinking about, they could have a degree in chemistry, a, degree, a, a veterinarian degree, a degree in biology. They could, they know enough to do all that, but why would they want to? <laughs> well, they're out doing what they need to do. They do what they need to do because that they know what they need to know because that helps them do what they need to do. And um, and the, those are the most, I mean, those are, I'm always just in awe when I start talking to some of these, especially the old timers. And they know, you know, they've tried it all. They've done it all. And you better just shut up and listen because you're going to learn a thing or two. I have never met a farmer where I was not just like blown away. Yeah. I'm curious, you said something before about pricing. And I mean, I love how your technology really follows <laughs> follows the bouncing ball of temperatures and, you know, water mm -hmm. and, and that some of these other companies are using uh, your technology in, in interesting ways. I, I'm curious about, and maybe not the intersection of your technology, but it just made me think of this, is the price, the, the prices of beef are very high on the retail side. And can you run through it for me? Because I feel like people don't really understand this. This number has stuck with me, much like the less than 2% of uh, Americans are farmers, but mm -hmm. that farmers see eight cents on the dollar for the cost of what you buy in the grocery store for your home or what you buy in a restaurant. So eight cents on the dollar. I always think that following the money is an important way to understand things. And I'm wondering if you could help me break it down a little bit. Uh, yeah, sure. And and I've actually never done the math on that, but I bet you I could, I could give you the raw numbers and I bet you we could probably back into that number. But essentially what's happening. So you have in the, in the beef industry, you have processing houses. These are the, Tyson Foods of the world, basically a, a rancher, there's, you know, a couple different models. The main model is a rancher has, you know, let's call it 50 head of cows. And that, that's how much fits into a big semi truck. And they're going to take that truck and they're going to drop it at a processor. Now that processor is going to purchase those cows in some respects, but let's just take the, the same model. So he's going to say, the rancher says, I got 50 head. And he's going to go and he's going to purchase those cows from him on their standing weight. Now, currently, as of a couple of days ago, I think that 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 price is like 70 cents or somewhere between 70 and 85 cents a pound standing pound. And that and so now the, the, the processor is going to say, OK, you get 75. Eight. So that means you're going to get about, you know, 900 bucks, say for you say here it is, 900 dollars. Now that, that animal is going to hang out, meaning their hanging weight on a, on a 1300 pound animal is going to be about, uh, let's call it 800 pounds for round numbers. I don't know why 800 is a round number, but it is for me. Before we dive into beef math, 
I just want to define hanging weight, although I think you get the general idea. Hanging weight is the weight of a carcass after initial slaughter and processing, minus the hide, the head, and some organs. The meat you receive is plus or minus 60% of the hanging weight. And so that $900 a farmer gets at 800, and that cow's charged them 800. So out of 800 hanging weight, they're probably going to get about 500 pounds of ground beef out of that. And that 500 pounds of ground beef is going to be sold for to probably on a on a wholesale market to let's say probably and I just checked Safeways the other day. I think there was at six dollars. So let's say it's six dollars pound. So they paid 900 for it to the farmer. They're going to charge the consumer six dollars. They're going to take 500 pounds. So they're going to they're going to get three thousand dollars. They're going to pay nine hundred dollars. And then Safeway is only going to mark that up a little bit because groceries have a very small margin, right? And so Safeway is going to probably sell that for six dollars and twenty five cents a pound, right? So the consumer is paying six dollars and twenty five cents for a cow that the farmer got nine hundred dollars for, right? Now. Those are actual real numbers. If you put it actually in there and we could probably figure out how many percentages on the dollar that is. But the you can see that the bulk of the profit, the, the markup um, is at the, the processor. They're the ones that made the most on that. So that's your basic model, right? Farmer has an animal, sells it, and then he moves it on the consumer. Now there's another model that is also available. That, and, what happens there is the farmer retains ownership. So in other words, we have a co-op here called Country Natural Beef. And so what happens, the farmer says, it takes the same 50 cows. He says, I'm gonna take my 50 cows and I'm gonna take them to the slaughterhouse. But the slaughterhouse now says, okay, well, you're gonna have to leave those cows there for 30 days because they're not quite fat enough and I gotta get them exactly all the same because they all gotta be exactly the same. So now the, the slaughterhouse is gonna charge so the, he hasn't purchased the cows but he's going to charge the farmer i think the current rate i want to say it's a dollar 25 a day it may be higher than that right now he's going to charge the farmer a dollar 25 a day for 90 days let's use a dollar because i can do the math quicker <laughs> <laughs> he's now going to charge the farmer the 900 dollars, right so that he can feed the cow then he's going to to butcher it and he's going to say, OK, well, now I, I'm going to sell the ground beef. He goes, well, I can't I'm not going to give you the six dollars a pound that I'm going to sell it for. I'll give you I'm going to charge you nine hundred dollars. So you pay me nine hundred dollars and I'm going to give you three dollars a pound. It's actually two sixty eight, I think, was the last one on the five hundred five hundred pounds. So the farmer now on the five hundred pounds, he's going to make about a thousand twelve hundred twelve fifty that bit. At minus the $900. So he still ends up like with 1100 bucks or a little, a little higher on his, on his margins than he would if he just sold it directly, but it still goes out the, to the consumer at a higher at $6. So they're, they're still making the money. So it's that middle ground where the processor is really going to do. And that's, that's the chain that has been, and those, that processing is highly regulated as it should be. Right. And we want to make sure our, Beef is safe, and that is, you have to have a USDA inspector and you have to be approved and you have to get that slaughterhouse to be exact. So those, the number of places that you can take your cow to be slaughtered is very limited. And so they can control if they don't, if you don't like paying $1.25 a day, then that's okay. You don't have to bring your cows here, but there's no place else to go. 
so you don't you're kind of you're out of luck so being able to do that processing ourselves and do it and have each ranch do that themselves it's going to be uh, a huge lift for the rancher fascinating so many pieces of the pie yeah and that's why you know you got to look at the the whole the 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 big picture i one of the other things that we do as ranchers i think and i and i this is another thing i've i've been trying to do with the technology is make it easier for people to buy people want to buy direct from the farmer the reason most ranchers and farmers go into ranching is cuz they're not marketers <laughs> they don't want to be hanging out and they don't they're not sales people they're in ranching because we, I mean, we are in ranching because we don't like people. <laughs> We'd rather be out on the ranch, right? And we make it difficult to do that. I sell direct to consumers my beef business. We call it barley beef. And I used to do what everybody else did. I would send out an email and I would wait and I'd say, hey, would you like some more beef? And, and you know, I'd get a response. I'd get a 1% response. And then I would, you know, go back and forth and I'd try and call them and schedule deliveries and do all that other stuff. About a year or so ago, this is no more email. I'm not doing email and I'm not calling. If you want to interact with me, I'm going to do text messages. So I using actually ThingLogic system because a message is still a message if, it, if it's an IoT message or if it's an SMS message. So I, I, I created a little system where I sent a message out to all my customers and says, hey, it's Rob, would you like some more ground beef? No long email about, you know, pictures of the cows or you got to buy farm to farm to fork or none, none, no marketing thing. I just said, hey, it's Rob. Would you like some more ground beef? And they replied yes or no. They either replied yes, no, or please don't call me ever again. Right. <laughs> of which all those responses were great responses. Right. I went from a, a response percentage of less than 1% to greater than 30% because my customers now felt like you're not just emailing me because I they gave me their cell phone. They want me to be it. And then I set it up to if, if you ordered 10 pounds of ground beef, I know that on average, that's going to last you about 30 days because most people are going to eat. Maybe that may be early, maybe late for some. I don't know. So I thought I will just mark you down to automatically send you a message in 30 days from now saying, hey, farm girl, do you need some more ground beef? <laughs> and all you got to do is Yes or no? Make it easy for the consumer to do that. That that little tiny marketing change in our interaction with our customers. Get rid of email. We still have a website. People still come and they go look on our website. But 90% of our stuff, and I we even say on the website, give us a text. Send us a text and we'll get you taken care of. Because now I can, yes, I want some. Okay. We schedule it and we text you a link to say, here's your payment link. and. You click the link and you pay and you're done. People want to buy from farmers, but a lot of times they're still like, okay, we need ground beef tonight. All right, can I, should I go on the website and click the button and then it'll show up three days later and I have to go, or should I just go to Safeway tonight and pick up my ground beef? You know, it's, it's a convenience thing. As a farmer, if I can be a little more proactive and engage you and I can say, you know, we know you're out of beef, so how about some more? And all you have to do is yes or no. We recently just got a our, our liquor license, you will, to be able to distribute beer. So now we're actually offering our customers 
you know, five pounds of ground beef and a six pack of beer that raised the, the beef. So it helps the local breweries because we deal with just the local guys now. And so it helps them kind of get their product out. We pick up. So it's a whole circle of life, you know, kind of thing. So being able to do things like that and being able to communicate with our customers and just say, yes, I would like it or no, I won't. It makes it easier is has been a big difference for us. Did you ever think that the future of technology was so inextricably intertwined with agriculture? When I think technology against a farming backdrop, I think machines, combines, tractors, but connected smart devices that move cattle ready for harvest to the right place at the right time? I guess I will now. Also, I think it's worth adding to your knowledge bank that farmers farm and work off the farm too. Rob is not alone. According to a USDA study, in 2019, over 82% of income for farm families came from off-farm income. That's staggering. This will have to be a deeper discussion for another episode of Talk Farm to Me, but keep it in mind as you think about how farmers work and what they're up against to grow and produce food for the world and to make a living at it. I'd like to leave you with this from Rob. It bears repeating. I'm fortunate enough to be around very smart people because in the tech industry, there's very smart people in the tech industry, but they don't compare to the intelligence of a rancher or a farmer that you run into. I am your host, Farm Girl. My real name is Dana, and I have an accidental farm that is the topic of another podcast, aptly named the Accidental Farm Podcast with 105-minute episodes waiting for you anywhere you get your pods. And if you're here and interested in farmers and in supporting them, I am building a support community that includes farmers and non-farmers from across the country. It's called For Farmers, and you can find everything you ever wanted to know about it on xoxofarmgirl.com. See you soon for another episode of Talk Farm to Me, a dairy princess perhaps, or startup farmers in Sussex, England in our first foray across the pond, but not our last. <laughs> Talk firm with you soon.